I have a job for you. Security gig. I will work and you will sleep, you understand? This place was huge in the 80s with the kids. They shut it down years ago. The owner's just not ready to let it go yet. All you have to do is keep your eyes on the monitor. You must be a security guard. Can I uh, help you, officer? Have you met them yet? Met who? Security hires never last. Kids went missing. That's why the place shut down. The police searched Freddy's. They never found the kid. What is she doing here? They couldn't find a sitter. What do they want? They want to make her like them. You didn't think you should maybe tell me about that? Can we go home now? What are you so afraid of? She's <laughs> coming. Ghost children. Possessing giant robots. Thanks for the heads up. Technically, they're animatronics. Tell me how to stop them. You don't. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is joining me as always. It's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, pizza and video game fans. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Maybe I think I was doing better before I watched this movie, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> well, greetings to all the uh, night security guards working overnight shifts. Uh, oh, man. All right. Also with us, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on? Always uh, happy to be here. So anyone listening would have been prepared, or excuse me, anyone of our regular listeners would be probably prepared for the quick turnaround uh, with this one. We said we were doing Five Nights at Freddy's, and that is indeed what we are doing. So IMDb, PG-13, an hour and 49 minutes. I didn't realize it was that long going into it, I mean. And uh, synopsis. Is as follows: A troubled security guard begins working at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. During his first night on the job, he realizes the night shift won't be so easy to get through. Pretty soon, he will he will unveil what actually happened at Freddy's. All right, I guess so. So, so uh, yeah, we'll start we'll start with our general thoughts. Uh, maybe because this is based off a video game, if anyone has any experience with a video game, feel free to throw that into the ring too. Uh, so Venom, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on Five Nights at Freddy's? Unfortunately, I feel like Five Nights at Freddy's did itself a disservice by kind of waiting to come out. Um, unfortunately, like I said, I feel like two other far superior, and that's just in my opinion, of course, far superior animatronic gone wild movies have come out in the last four or five years. And those two, of course, are the Banana Splits and uh, Willy's Wonderland. And, you know, I, I may be a man on a lonely island saying this, but I feel like both of those movies are far superior to what we got here. The Banana Splits has the advantage of having a hard R rating. So even though the story isn't great and maybe the acting is a little shitty, 
at least we got some really cool, memorable kills from the Banana Splits. There's one kill in Banana Splits that kind of stayed with me since I first saw that film that I absolutely love. And then with Willy's Wonderland, we just got, like, this great kind of pseudo-action thriller that a lot of people may not consider a horror film, but... You know, Nick Cage playing a silent character, just beating the shit out of all these animatronic characters, just, for my, in my opinion, as I said, just a far superior film. A, a great score on that film as well. Now, Five Nights at Freddy's, unfortunately, as I said, it's going to suffer because it kind of came out late. Um, we're, we're not really seeing anything original here, you know, just we've already seen the formula you know, a lonely security guard gets hired at this place and is, you know, marauded by these haunted animatronics. We've seen it before. I'm sure we'll see it again since it seems to be a subgenre of its own at this point. But, um, yeah, this movie is really slow going. As I've already said, it's PG-13, so we're not getting any great on-screen kills. We do get a pretty cool bisection but we only get to see it in uh, in silhouette. We don't actually get to see it directly. So, I mean, for a PG-13 movie, that's not too bad, at least. But otherwise, not really any memorable kills, any memorable about, uh, amount of gore or, you know, anything like that. The characters are meh. You know, I, we're meant to sympathize with our main character, our security guard, uh, Mike, played by Josh uh, Hutcherson. And his sister, his little sister, Abby, you know, we get a lot of backstory on our security guard, which is something we don't get in the video games. And by the way, yes, I forgot to mention, I am a fan of the games. I finished the first two and I started the third one. But by the time I got like a quarter of the way to, through the third one, the formula just got kind of old and it, it isn't something that really kept my attention for that terribly long I wasn't even, after finishing the first one, I wasn't even intending on playing the second one, but there was so much hype behind it when it came out that I went ahead and played it and finished it, and, you know, it was okay. They're good games for what they are, but, you know, for maybe older gamers, the formula just kind of gets a little old, so... Um, I, and I only mention that because this movie is filled with so much of the backstory on the security guard, which we don't get in the games, obviously. The security guard is the gamer. It's the person playing the game. So it's not really a concern what their past is or, you know, what family drama they have, you know. So, so this movie kind of loses the soul of the video game, which is just being – in Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria overnight and just everything that the security guard has to go through. Instead, they kind of turn this into a little bit of a family drama, which might work for some people. And if the script was a little bit better written and the story, you know, had a little bit nicer flow to it, I might have enjoyed that. I will admit I was on board for the majority of this film for probably, I would say, for the first two acts. I was okay with where the story was going. Um, I was okay with the, you know, the, the effects, what little effects we got in the film. I thought the animatronics looked great. You know, everybody in Freddy's band looks awesome. But then in the third act, once we get the reveal of who the mastermind is with all of this, I just completely lost interest in the movie. I was, I literally had an audible groan in the theater when, uh, you know, our, our mastermind is revealed. And I was just so angry at this movie for being so fucking lazy and going in that direction 
just bugged the hell out of me. This movie had the potential to go so many great places with, you know, the the lore of this place and even even a very surprising scene about halfway through the film where where our animatronics almost become friendly. That's definitely something you don't expect in a movie like this, but like I said, once we get uh, you know, one reveal after another, you know, the story just, it just becomes uh, a big old story of convenience. I mean, we have one of the worst police officers ever. I mean, this woman spends more time at Freddy's than at the police station. Um, I, you know, by the end of the movie, we understand why. But I'm just saying, as you're watching this movie, you're just asking yourself, why is this woman always at Freddy's? Does she not have a job? Is she not a police officer for this town? Um, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I saw potential in the film as for like the first hour or so, but then as we just start getting deeper and deeper into the film and the lore starts getting revealed to us, I just started losing more and more interest until, like I said, we get that final reveal, you know, near the end where I just, I, I literally hated it. I'm like, this movie just literally died for me with this reveal. It's not necessarily the character. I can't really get into it uh, in the non-spoiler section, but um, like I said, I just feel like it's a it's lazy writing. It's not clever. Um, you know, we've seen it before with this exact same character, and it you know it didn't make me happy in 1996, and it doesn't really make me all that happy in 2023. So, uh, unfortunately, yeah, I'm gonna have to say that. Five Nights at Freddy's is average at best. Again, there is a market for this movie. I think uh, what's kind of funny is that if you guys listened to the last episode and when Mike mentioned that he was going to be taking his teenage daughters to go see this movie, I kind of scoffed a little bit thinking that maybe they would go a little harder with this film. But man, when I saw it today, more than half the theater was kids. I swear to God, I felt like I was watching like a Pixar movie or something or, an, or a Marvel movie. Like half the theater is kids. There's a family of Eastern Europeans behind me that just would not shut the fuck up, which obviously that's going to affect your enjoyment of the film. I know this movie is also available on streaming at the same time. I believe it's on what, Paramount or something um, or Peacock, one of those. And But I'm a movie guy. I'm a movie theater guy. And unfortunately... You know, 99% of the time your theater experience is going to be great, but that 1% of the time that it's not, you, you hope that it doesn't affect your movie, like the, the, your actual enjoyment of the movie or your review of the movie. But in this particular case, it kind of did. I just it was getting so mad. I can't get mad at kids. I, like, I'll never get mad at a kid being loud in a theater. But when the parents are perpetuating it, that's where I get pissed off. So... I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent on movie theater experiences, but ultimately, um, I thought this movie was average at best. It looks nice, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Dark Harvest. I mean, it looks nice. The story is definitely lacking. They tried to beef up the story with more, you know, exposition than really we need. I mean, Five Nights at, Five Nights at Freddy's is a very simple formula, and... The movie for Five Nights at Freddy's should have also had a very simple formula that's, you know, not going to make people think, you know, not, you know, don't bombard us with red herrings and just stupid tropes. Obviously, with a PG-13 movie, it has to rely more on its scares than on its gore. And unfortunately, the scares did absolutely nothing for me. And, and this is coming from a hardcore fan of the game 
who legitimately does get scared playing those games. You know, I play them by myself in the dark with my headphones on. So it's scary as shit. But yeah, nothing about this movie was even tense or atmospheric for me anyway at all. So again, I'm not going to say that it's a bad movie. It just failed for me in most ways. And it's just going to end up being an average 2023 movie for me. So I'll leave it at that for now. All right, let's kick it over to Don. What are your thoughts on FNAF, as the kids call it? <laughs> yeah, um, so I don't have a huge, uh, you know, past history with the, the video games. Um, all I really know is that uh, there was a weird uh, point, um, probably at the very beginning of summer, where uh, a lot of video channels I saw were doing playthroughs of the uh, the latest um, installment in the series, um, Security Breach. I, I think the latest one is called Security Breach, but that one, if I remember correctly, I, I think Freddy's a good guy and he's trying to prevent one of the other... I, I think it's one of the other dolls. I, I don't remember who it is, but they've taken over the... They've taken over the the joint, and you've you're a kid. You've snuck in to you know meet Freddy after the show, and then he finds out that you know the place is on lockdown. The bad robots have taken over, and Freddy's there to help you try to get your way out. And you have to go through all the you know various rooms and playhouses, and uh, you know it pretty much looks like the, the you know continental United States is stored inside of the building with all of the various rooms in place, but uh, that, that, you know, I, I've only seen like maybe two or three different, you know, playthroughs of the game or, you know, stuff like that. So I'm not intimately familiar with it. So uh, beyond that, um, I, I mean, I know that there's at least two or three other variants um, versions of the game. Um, I think both of those are just waiting around in the security room and then trying to prevent them from breaking in. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's how yeah, most of the yeah. yeah I think that's how the other games are and I think that's um, for me at least one of the, the things about this is that I, I do agree I don't think there's a whole lot of lore from the actual video games but I mean I, I don't know for sure because I mean I have, I've only seen you know clips and pieces of the other games although I've, I've seen you know full playthroughs of uh, the latest ones so I'm Again, a little bit more familiar with that one, even though the the concept of the series is, you know, there in my head somewhere. But yeah, not really what I wanted here. Um, I I kind of wanted this to be more killer robots slashing people. And, you know, even though you're not going to get that in a PG-13 film, that's really more what I wanted. Not this, you know, guy going around and trying to figure out what happened in this dream that he had when he was 10 years old and how all of this connects to the sentient robots is kind of stupid and lame. And, you know, it just, it, it feels very contrived. It feels very forced. And it's like, okay, well, how is this supposed to work out where the kidnappings in the past have a connection to the guy in the future? And how did this guy know that this was the kid that's going to, you know, be present to serve, you know, look over the store, you know, 20 years in the future. It's like, all of that is completely stupid, but, 
After that, I, I kind of enjoyed it for what it is. Uh, I mean, again, it's not the movie I wanted, so that really kind of irked me a little bit. But, yeah, overall, I, I can't say I hated it. Um, I'm probably right where Venom is, where I, I think the first two-thirds are good to, you know, okay. But, yeah, once you start getting reveals, once you start figuring out what's going on, that doesn't have much, you know, there there. There's not a whole lot of what I really wanted in this, which was the the killer robots going berserk, and that's kind of I, I think the big downfall here, because it goes for more building on a character that has no real relation to the game, at least as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, a lot of that was kind of just wearing on me. It's ten minutes too long. You could have trimmed this and you know really had a little leaner, tighter, more enjoyable effort, because I think there's a lot of scenes that are just redundant and don't really have much purpose for being there, but yeah, I, I can't say I hated it. I can't say I liked it. Um, it, you know, is this a better version of, you know, is Willie's Wonderland a better version of this? Yeah, because that's exactly what I wanted it to be. It's killer animatronic robots going berserk. And that's not what we get here. The, you know, this is a character piece, and that's not really what I'm after. So, I, I mean, I can see, you know, some people liking it. I, I mean, you know, again, I, I did like the first two-thirds for what they were. But, yeah, um, where's my damn animatronic robots going berserk on a killing spree? Uh, <laughs> we didn't get our rampage. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I didn't see anything from, you know, any of the video games that was being recreated in here because the robots don't even do anything. I mean, you know, outside of maybe one scene where they're actually, you know, attacking trespassers, they're not killers. They don't really do anything. So, yeah, that that point was kind of missing. But, um, again, you know, mileage may vary, but, yeah, it's not really the movie I wanted. It's okay for what it is. But, yeah, uh, as the saying goes, it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I am going to kind of agree. Uh, me, personally, I would put it as an average movie. Now, if I asked my kids, they probably liked it more than me. But, you know, they're looking for different things in a movie than me. So I can't really let their enjoyment affect how I review it. Um Going into the movie, I assumed, once it was rated PG-13, I assumed, okay, the one thing that's probably going to be abundantly clear, and it kind of did play out, that the animatronic rampage and kills or deaths or whatever are probably going to be somewhat handcuffed because, just like Venom said, when I got to the theater, there was a lot of families with kids, and I think this is the one case where the studio and the you know, everyone making the movie, they kind of correctly judged that this would be a younger audience seeing this because to me it's apparent in how the movie played out. I also think that the <laughs> the miscalculation, though, on that front was the story. Like, I, I thought they put too much story in a PG-13 horror movie that was trying to... The world like that we assumed was trying to model itself after a pretty simplistic video game. Like, there is some story in the video game. Now, my kids, uh, they have some experience with it. They haven't sat down and played, like, the entire franchise. Um, and they they do have a book set, but I don't know if they've 
actually read it yet. So when we were driving home, I did kind of ask them about that kind of stuff, and they said, you know, some they they said uh, the setup was similar, but they're like all this uh, story about how everything went down. They're like, uh, they're like, I don't know if that was in later games or in the books, but we don't, we're not. Fam- it was that stuff was new to them. I kind of yeah, I, I kind of felt like, and that probably reflects in the running time too. Like this should have been like an eighty to ninety minute max movie where dude just shows up to his job. Like I was fine kind of with the with the reasoning of why his uh, I keep wanting to say daughter, his sister ended up having to go with him to work. Like that was fine um, the way that was set up. It's just once they got into a couple other characters and a lot of the the reoccurring dream stuff and I was just like I I, I would kind of look at my kids during those scenes because I'm like Dude, I don't know if my kids even care about all this story because um, another another thing about this generation's youth that I don't know if everyone realizes if you don't have kids or you don't kind of watch after relatives a lot of kids like they watch videos of video games that they don't even play themselves and I think kids were probably just coming to this to see animatronic mayhem too now obviously you might have to have it less explicit because if you know you're marketing it to kids so i I didn't really have an issue with it not being like something like a willie's wonderland as far as kills because i really wasn't expecting that anyway but i just wanted more of what we got because like venom said the there was one cool death even though it was mostly kind of like in a shadow the way they use the lighting I expected them to use those types of like tricks and tools um, because of who this is marketed, but just give us more, give us more of that. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I think the movie did some things right, but what it did wrong is what's keeping it average for me. Um, if my kids had their own podcast, they maybe say they liked it more than I did, which is fine. Um, yeah, I, I'll just say. <sighs> Willy's Wonderland and Banana Splits, those would be obviously comparable. That They've already been brought up. Those movies, while the premise is similar, they definitely are not handcuffed by the the restraints that this one had to, had to put forth. But even with that said, I didn't necessarily think the restraints, like the PG-13 aspect, was the biggest issue. It was more just unnecessary story and and plot that we didn't really need in this type of movie. Of the the cop character, I thought I thought they just they tipped their hand way too early to kind of let us all know there's way more going on there than like uh, what's on the surface. Like that would it seemed too obvious. And then um, Matthew Lillard in this movie, I I initially liked that character like when he was in a specific role, and then later on. I was like, oh, uh, I I don't know about this decision in the, in the story, and uh, I guess the final thing is like the what really kind of made the movie like turn over into goofy territory was the taxi scene. I'm not talking about the mid credit scene, but like the <laughs> yep. there's a, there's at some point where some characters get into a taxi, and at that point I'm just like, oh, so now you're kind of going full on like jokey <laughs> with it. Yep. Um, <laughs> it seemed like weird tonally to just like have that scene in there but anyways it, it's not it wasn't all bad like i like when we actually stuck to like the 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 
pizza place and animatronics. I thought it was cool. Like I liked the, they recreated the look of it pretty good. I liked that they moved around like animatronics. Like they didn't try to go cheap on that. Um, and I didn't mind the fact that uh, for like a little portion of the movie they were friendly because like you're you know they can be deceivingly friendly for purposes and later you reveal themselves to be something else. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I just think there was like too much added on to a uh, Five Nights at Freddy's movie that was unnecessary. So we will see. I mean, because it made a shit ton of money last time I checked, and that was before today. So I assume, based on that, that a sequel would not be surprising. But if they do go that route, I hope they just stick to FNAF stuff and we don't need all that extra story. So uh, I'll leave my general thoughts at that for now. Yeah. um, Overall, I, I do really wish that it was more like the game, that they were able to reproduce the tension and the atmosphere of the game. Obviously, some movie watchers may have been a little bored from the slow pacing and, you know, the constant dark lighting and everything else that the game provides. Um, and hardcore fans like me are probably going to be pissed off that there's not one scene where the guards, uh, flashlight batteries die, which is like one of the main fucking parts of the game is to, you know, keep that battery, you know, fresh and, you know, keep that flashlight working. And yeah, not a bit of that here. Like I said, they just, it's the same problem that a lot of movies based on video games have. I talked about this on a previous show with the Mortal Kombat game, uh, movie, movie slash game, obviously not on this show, on another podcast, but it's it's this weird thing where movie directors and filmmakers in general, when they make a game based on a, uh, when they make a movie, excuse me, based on a video game, they have to put their own touch on it. They have to put their own flavor, their own spin. It's like, what is wrong with you? Especially with the example of Mortal Kombat, you literally have 30 years of lore already pre-written, pre-done, ready for you to go. Why the fuck are you going to add a whole other character who is the main character of the movie, who's the most basic, boring, dull character ever? I mean, I'm sorry, as cool as that last Mortal Kombat movie was, and it probably is the best Mortal Kombat movie ever, the the fact that they created this main character just for the movie, when you literally have a roster of about 200 fighters over the last 20 to 30 years, yet the director, like I said, filmmakers, they got to put their spin on it. They can't do... A, a true adaptation, like a, like a honest one that, you know, sticks with the original material. I know we, we've had this for years with movies, uh, coming from books, but with a book, you're talking about something that takes, you know, days to read or, you know, a lot of hours at least, you know, 10, 12 hours to read a novel. So you have to shrink it down to make a two hour movie. Here, you took a game that literally has like a 10-minute concept. You stretched it out to an hour and 50 minutes. But instead of giving us that good atmosphere and tension that's really going to make us feel something, feel some sense of dread in the theater, instead you give us this exposition-heavy movie about a character that I just don't know how many people are really going to care about it. Um like I said, players of the game understand they are the security guard. They're playing the security guard. They don't need the backstory. They don't need all the extra emotional crap. Uh, literally, give us the formula that has worked. I mean, we're talking about a 
what, nine-year-old video game now. The first Five Nights at Freddy's came out August of uh, 2014. So we're talking over nine years old. So and, and what, like somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight games maybe? Two, four, six, eight, eleven. Eleven different, oh, my God, Freddy in space, really? I didn't even know that was a thing. Anyway, yeah, 11 different Five Nights at Freddy's games. So you've got so much lore to pick from. And instead, you just give us all this exposition that horror fans just don't generally care about, especially if we're going to see a movie called Five Nights at Freddy's, okay? This isn't The Exorcist. This isn't, you know, Dr. Sleep. This isn't something that's more cerebral where we need, you know, a a lot more exposition maybe. This movie needs no exposition. You literally could have started the movie with the security guard taking the job and skipped the first what, 20 to 25 minutes of the, of the film? Minus the cold open. Obviously, we kind of need that cold open, and any good horror film is going to have a cold open, especially if you're going to follow that cold open with about 30 minutes of exposition. You better give us a decent cold open, which unfortunately this film does not have. It has a cold open. I'm just saying it's not a very decent one. It's about as basic as all hell. But... I will say, like I said, I love the design of the animatronics. They all looked great. Freddy, Foxy, Bonnie, Chica. I was surprised to see Cupcake in the first movie. Uh, I was also very surprised to see Balloon Boy, because Balloon Boy isn't introduced in the video game series until either the second or third game. I forget which exactly. But he's definitely not in the first game, so it was kind of cool to see an appearance by him. Multiple appearances, actually. Ultimately, Balloon Boy's appearances in this movie were meant to be comic relief, so it kind of takes away a little bit of the punch of the character, but at the same time, you're not going to give us every single animatronic that's existed in this video game franchise in one movie. You know, you have to, if you're, if this thing is going to become a a film franchise, you kind of got to pace yourself and give us more as the movies go along. But yeah, like I said, just all the padding. Mike is 100% right. This movie should have been 80 minutes max. There's just no reason to go through all of this family drama. Like, I don't care why he had to take the job. Yes, it's plausible. I'm not saying that it's unbelievable or stupid. Not at all. I'm saying I don't care. I don't care why he has to take the job. I just want to see his ass in there getting stalked by animatronics. That's what we paid to see. And unfortunately, that's not what we get. And, you know, I, th- I think we all three of us have made that clear so far that, you know, we're all kind of disappointed in this. Um, like I said, I specifically said this movie did itself a detriment by coming out after Banana Splits and uh, especially uh, Willy's Wonderland, which was one of was a, like a top 10 movie for me that year. I fucking love that movie. Something about silent Nick Cage just works for me. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, like I said, um, I did like the design of everyone in here. Um, I liked how they utilized Cupcake. You know, it's kind of hard to figure out how they're going to utilize. And when I uh, Cupcake is literally a cupcake for anyone who hasn't played the game. Um, it, it's not like a character, like a full animatronic named Cupcake. It's literally a cupcake with a candle in it, maybe the size of a basketball, I'd say. Um, and he's definitely bigger in the movie than he is in the game. I don't even think he's that big in the game. But, you know, but I, I, I don't want to do direct comparisons necessarily, even though that's basically what I've been doing the whole time here. But, yeah, uh, it, it just, like I said, especially with something like FNAF, it, it's built up so much of a fan base. It's got so much lore. It's got, you know, people 
that genuinely care about this franchise, who, you know, are collectors like me who actually collect toys and figures for this thing. Um, I've got countless Five Nights at Freddy's figures here, and ultimately this movie is going to definitely slow that down because there is a whole series of collectibles for this movie specifically that have recently come out, and I'm not buying any of them because I was so disappointed with this movie. So, um, And again, I, it sounds like I'm being down on the movie. The movie isn't objectively bad. It just didn't give us... What we were looking for, either if you're a gamer who's played these games, or in Don's example where he didn't play the games, but he just wanted to see something more like what the trailers promised. I I did go ahead and watch the trailer when I came home today, and the trailer definitely makes the movie look way more violent than it actually is. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's PG-13. We all knew that going in, but... With PG-13 movies, if you're not going to give us that gore that a hard R is going to give us, you've got to give us a compelling story. You've got to give us likable characters. You've got to give us good screenwriting. And unfortunately, this movie has very little of any of that. I didn't care about these characters. I didn't care about this story. You know, I didn't care about the family drama between the security guard, his 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 sister, and his aunt. I like. I just I just really didn't care. This isn't what I came here for. Um, maybe if they were uh, more compelling, better actors. I don't. I, I'm not even sure what could have made the human drama of this a little bit more palatable. But just what was presented to us just falls. It fails in comparison to you know what we get in the video game. So sadly, I will not be giving this one a recommend. And fortunately, since this one did get a simultaneous, a simultaneous theatrical and at-home release. At least those of you who are interested in this movie and are listening to my voice, you know, now know you don't have to go to the theater. Just go ahead and watch it on streaming for free, you know, assuming you already have the app and, you know, take it from there. This is definitely not a movie that needs to be seen in theaters. You know, the atmosphere isn't so great that the theater experience enhances it. I already talked about how terrible my theater experience is. I actually almost regret going to the theater. If I knew so many kids were going to be this interested in this movie, I probably would have watched it at home. Because especially going to a 11 a.m. showing on a Sunday, uh, there's going to be a lot of kids. Um, but usually when I'm there to see something more hardcore, obviously I don't have to deal with that element. So blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. I don't know what else I can say without getting into the story. It's... Um, As I've already said, it's just, it's not a bad movie. It's just not for me, and it doesn't sound like it's for any of us here on the show. So, um, you guys got anything else to say before we get into the spoiler section? No, I'm good. Yeah, I would just say, like, obviously they left it off with the potential for a sequel. Uh, I wasn't surprised by that because it is, like, a pretty big franchise when it comes to the video game and there's definitely more animatronics to be revealed in the future if they do make it and just uh, you know to reiterate how much damn money it made usually especially with the horror genre if it generates that kind of revenue there's probably gonna be at least one sequel coming uh, behind it so uh we'll see i mean to me there there is to me there was enough there that if you make minor tweaks to the delivery, then this the sequel could end up being really good. We'll just see. Or they could make the same mistakes and make kind of like a bloated movie with a lot of unnecessary uh, 
yeah. arcs and narrative that we don't need. So we'll we'll, we'll see uh, how this one goes. Well, that's a problem with filmmakers, too, is that they're going to see that this movie was a success and they're going to think that every element was a success. Every element of the film was successful and done well. And they're going to think that people want to see more of that. And it's like, no, I went to see the movie because of the strength of its title. But, you know, it's it's lore. It's, you know, it's history before this film. That's what got me to go to the theater. Not because I was expecting, you know, some cinematic masterpiece. Not at all. But. I still, like I said, this movie just leaves so much to be desired, both from fans of the game and non-fans of the game, just horror hardcores like us. Just, yeah, it doesn't check off all the boxes, unfortunately. So with that being said, that is your final spoiler warning. We're going to go ahead and get into the walkthrough here. I am going to skip a lot of this movie because it's just... I don't want to say pointless, but, it, you know, it didn't really add any enhancement to either the story or some of the other aspects of it. And ultimately, even if you don't play Five Nights at Freddy's, you're probably still aware of what the basic storyline of the movie is. So it's not really all that difficult to get into. So here we go. Our movie opens up, uh, our, our cold open is basically, uh, we see a security guard. He's obviously panicking and frantic, and he's trying to get the grating off of an air shaft so he can escape a room that we see he is, uh, he basically boarded up the door and put up a bunch of furniture and stuff to block the door to, to prevent whoever was trying to get in to get in there. Unfortunately, eventually he is overtaken by something, uh, we don't actually get to see what in the cold open, but he is eventually, you know, um, strapped to a chair. And then we see one of the animatronics. I believe it's the yellow Bonnie, the Springtrap Bonnie uh, costume. I may be wrong on some of these costumes, but I'm going to try to be as accurate as I can for, for those who are familiar with the game. Um, and it looks like the inside of the headpiece of the Springtrap Bonnie costume has a bunch of, like, saw blades and, you know, uh, gears and grinding things that are going to just basically destroy anybody who has the mask put on them. We see the security guard frantically trying to escape the chair that he's strapped to. Uh, eventually, of course, he is not able to get out of the chair in time. And, of course, it's a PG-13 movie, so we're not going to see anything. We hear the crunch and squish of the mask hitting the security guard's face, but that's pretty much it. And then uh, we go, you know, after the credits, it is now, um, we, we're now in a, like a mall, like a shopping mall, and we are introduced to Mike, uh, our main character, played by Josh Hutcherson. He is a security guard at the mall, and we see him noticing, he, he's basically at like an ice cream stand, I believe, ordering an ice cream. He sees a little boy you know, kind of looking longingly at the ice cream menu, and Mike is kind of staring at him, almost like he's going to contemplate buying the kid some ice cream. But then out of nowhere, an adult male comes and grabs the kid and kind of drags him away from the ice cream shop. Mike, being a security guard and having the pass that he has, which, of course, at this point in the film, we're not sure what that is yet, he figures this guy is snatching the kid uh, because of how violently he pulled the kid away from the ice cream shop. So he chases the guy down, eventually catches up to him at the fountain in the mall, and unmercifully beats the shit out of this guy, which is very unsecurity guard-like. You know, generally, once they catch him, you know, you'll put him in cuffs or you'll take him to the office or at the very least you'll question him. But, you know, Mike, uh, yeah, Mike just basically beats the shit out of this kid. 
Then suddenly we are in the office of uh, a career counselor played by Matthew Lillard. Um, Steve Raglan is the name of the career counselor. And he's basically looking at Mike's folder and basically asking Mike, like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you keep a job? He starts listing off some of the jobs that he's had where he only lasted about a week or a few weeks, blah, blah, blah. And then he finally talks about what happened at the mall. And that's when we find out that this guy wasn't snatching this kid. It was actually the guy's father. It's just that the dad was angry at the kid for, you know, kind of as most parents might get when their kid kind of walks away from their side at a mall or a big store, you know, and and are standing in front of the ice cream shop just kind of staring at the menu. So he just kind of came and grabbed his kid, you know, a little, maybe a little harder than he should have, which is what set Mike off. But no, it actually was the guy's dad. So, of course, Mike was fired. Now, Matthew Lillard's character is actually quite entertaining at this point in the movie. He's kind of a goofball. And, you know, knowing that Matthew Lillard is, you know, he's he's a grown-ass adult in his 40s now. You know, he's not the kid that we saw in Scream back in 96, you know, so... To see this kind of, you know, salt and pepper bearded man being goofy and it almost seemed like he was having a good rapport with Mike because he seemed to have at least he seemed to have good humor about Mike's bad luck. Like he wasn't necessarily talking down to him, but he was kind of saying like, dude, what is wrong with you? I mean, this this is a bad job history I'm looking at. Eventually, Matthew Lillard's character tells him about a job that is available where, you know, he won't have to do it, go through the interview process. Um, he, he can just get the job right away and go do it. Unfortunately, again, it's more security work. And Steve, uh, you know, Matthew Leonard's character lets him know that it's an overnight security position at a closed down family restaurant and that you wouldn't really be doing a lot other than just watching monitors and maybe doing the occasional cleaning of the place. Not that it should ever get dirty because it's closed, but, you know, just upkeep, I guess. Uh, unfortunately, the job is overnight, and we we find out that Mike actually is taking care of his little sister. Mike is taking care of his little sister because um, his mother, uh, their mother, I should say, passed away a few years before this. And I guess dad couldn't take it. Um, the way he says it in the movie, it sounds like dad just took off, just kind of left these two kids parentless. But, yeah, that's pretty much what it implied that he did. So it's just Mike and Abby, his little sister, um, because of the state assistance checks that he's able to get, you know, he's able to take care of his sister while working these little menial jobs. But unfortunately, at the same time, there is an aunt, Aunt Jane, played by Mary Stuart Masterson, who's just, you know, your basic, you know, Karen bitch. Uh, basically, she wants to get the kid away from Mike. She wants to have, you know, custody of the child. Um, she thinks that Mike is a drug addict, a criminal, like she, she just has the worst opinion of Mike and, and there's no warrant for it. There's just no need for her to actually have this opinion. Um, so she's trying to, you know, get the child away legally. Um, unfortunately, the courts can't really do anything because Mike is doing what he needs to do. He's working. He's, you know, he's, he's got a roof over her head. He's got a babysitter. He's got a full-time babysitter that he doesn't even have to pay uh, all the time. Um, so he's in a decent situation where he can work and take care of his sister so they don't take his custody away. Unfortunately, the aunt is a little bit of a bitch, as I've already said. She decides that she's going to maybe go around the law a little bit 
and she ends up uh, covertly making a plan with the babysitter. Uh, Mel, I believe, was the babysitter's name. Uh, oh, or was it Max? It was Max or Mel. But, um, yeah, she basically gets a hold of the babysitter and basically pays the or offers the babysitter money to find evidence in Mike's house of anything illegal, drug use, um, you know, pornography. I mean, whatever you could think of, just anything illegal that she could use in the court case against Mike. Unfortunately, Mike is a legitimately good guy who just works. Uh, you know, he works and he sleeps. That all, that's all he does. Um, at this point in the film, we know that he sleeps a lot, but we don't really know why. We, you know, <laughs> I assumed he was like narcoleptic or something, but there is a reason why he sleeps so much. And, well, let's get into it while we're here. Uh, basically what happened is Mike used to have a younger brother named Garrett. But when Mike was 12 years old, Garrett was snatched uh, during a camping trip in Nebraska. And Mike actually witnessed the snatching. Well, he may not have witnessed the actual snatching, but he did see the car pull away with his little brother in the back seat, kind of playing with a toy, uh, a little toy plane. So basically, he dreams of this every night. Uh, every night he goes to bed with a tape of forest sounds playing because they were camping that night. And he also has a book on dream theory uh, on his bedside table. So basically, his uh, theory or his thought is that if he keeps forcing himself to dream about that day, that he may eventually remember something, maybe a description of the uh, of the kidnapper, maybe the license plate of the car, which he was never going to get because the license plate was blacked out. I don't know if anybody noticed that, but the, the kidnapper blacked out his license plate. So, yeah, he definitely wasn't going to get caught that way. Um, so, yeah, that's basically, you know, that's the backstory for Mike. He's taking care of his sister, but at the same time, he's trying to still figure out uh, who kidnapped his younger brother, Garrett, um, however many years ago. I think it was like 20 years ago or whatever. Um, so um, eventually uh, the uh, the aunt uh, submits paperwork to take custody of this child, of Abby, away from him. But unfortunately, he doesn't have a job right now because don't forget, he just got fired from a security uh, job from beating the shit out of that guy. So he ends up calling back uh, Matthew Lillard's character and lets him know, okay, fine, I'll take the job. You know, I, I, I need the money, blah, blah, blah. He ends up taking the job. He ends up going to work his first night. Obviously, it's the first night. Nothing really major happens. He goes in there. He turns on all the, the power in the place. And obviously, the video games all turn on. All the restaurant lights turn on. And it basically looks like your basic Chuck E. Cheese. You know, it's got a ball pit, video games. They serve pizza, blah, blah, blah. Um, so like I said, yeah, nothing really much happens that first night. Eventually, uh, the aunt gets mad at the babysitter because she's not finding anything uh, to pin on Mike. So what they decide to do, and this is actually Max's um, kind of, I don't know if it's her boyfriend or an associate or whatever. He comes up with the idea of, well, if Mike is a security guard, his job is to keep people out of that restaurant. Why don't we just break in there, smash the place up, take anything of value out of there, and then once the police find out, Mike's going to get fired, which will then, you know, it, it's something that they can use in the court case. Because then once again, he'll be unemployed. It'll be like his umpteenth job he's had in however many years. Um, it's just going to look bad for him, blah, blah, blah. 
But the inevitable does happen where uh, basically uh, four people, uh, Max, her associate, and then two other guys that they bring with them, break into Freddy Fazbear's, not at night while Mike is there, but during the day after Mike has already left. So they get in there, and they do exactly what they said they were going to do. They're smashing up the place. One thing that really bothered me is that one of them broke open the quarter machine, and the fucking thing was still full. This restaurant's been closed down for years, but you're telling me there's like $100 in quarters still in one of those change machines? Yeah, fuck you. That's just not how it works. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, um, and of course, it's a horror movie, so we all know what happens. Eventually, the animatronics wake up, and they start taking out the people one by one. Uh, Cupcake ends up biting the face off of the first guy. Again, we don't really get to see much. You know, we get to see Cupcake kind of attached to his face, but we don't get to see the end result, unfortunately. And then um, the big guy of the group uh, it basically starts to get stalked by Bonnie. Bonnie starts chasing him around the facility until finally um, she traps him in a, like a storage closet type area. And these animatronics, man, they're, I mean, obviously they're supernatural because they're moving around by themselves, but these things literally have the, the ability to go through walls because this guy goes into a storage closet, closes the door. There's nobody in there with him. Then suddenly he turns around and there's Bonnie standing right behind him, which again, doesn't really make any sense, but you know, suspension of disbelief. So whatever. Um, we see Max's, I'm just going to say Max's boyfriend, you know, the main associate of the bunch. Um, he notices on the security cameras that the big guy is running away from something, but he doesn't see what. Eventually, when he gets to the closet that the big guy is in, he sees the shadow of Bonnie just basically beating the shit out of him. Again, you can hear the crunching and splashing of blood and everything else, but again, we don't see anything. And then the door opens. The door to the storage closet opens. Um, Max's boyfriend is just like, nope. He nopes out of there, starts to run away. Unfortunately, he is eventually caught. I think Foxy ends up taking him out. And then, of course, Max herself, she was told to stay out in the truck and wait for them. When they don't come out after a certain amount of time, she ends up going inside the place. And that's when... um Freddie, uh, and that we, we see this scene in the trailer, too, where we see the girl kind of get a step stool, look down into Freddie's mouth, and then we see the hand kind of pop out of the uh, mouth. The rest of that scene that we don't see in the trailer is that she's pulled into Freddie's mouth and then bitten in half. And that's the bisection kill that I was talking about earlier, where we see her lower half hit the floor in silhouette only. So we only really see it in shadow, but at least we do see the bite, you know, where he bites down and cuts her body in half. So that was pretty decent for a PG-13 movie, though still left much to be desired. So at this point, all All four of our um, shitheads are all dead. And then, and I forgot to mention Officer Vanessa, who is in the video games, by the way. Uh, I did forget to mention that. But uh, basically on Mike's first night at the, you know, at at, uh, Freddy Fazbear's, he meets Officer Vanessa. She's like the beat officer in the area. She she knows like a lot about the history of the place. And um, she talks about the owner. I think his name was William... 
Arift or Aloft or something like that. I can't remember exactly what his name is. Um, but basically, you know, she talks about how he was the owner and that, you know, some stuff started happening in the area. Uh, kids started going missing and they ended up just shutting the place down. Not that they ever found anything in the restaurant, and there's a very good reason why, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, they just, you know, like I said, the cops can't find any trace of the kids, and they, and you know, eventually Freddie Fazbear's is just closed. So, um, let's see, where are we at this point? Um, it is the second night. I, oh yeah, so it's after. So it's the it's the morning. Uh, it's the same day, actually, uh, that the four people broke into Freddy's to try to get Mike fired and then got themselves all dispatched. That day, Vanessa goes to visit Mike at his home. I don't know how the hell she knows that he, where he lives, but, I mean, it's a small town and she is a police officer, so, again, I'll allow it. And she basically lets Mike know that, hey, uh, somebody broke into Freddy's today and trashed the place. And and Mike is like, oh, my God, what, you know, what happened, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well... I mean, listen, you're a security guard, and if people break, you know, if you forgot to lock one of the doors and people go in and damage the place, you're liable and you're responsible. And she talks about how she's, you know, once she submits the police report that he's probably fucked. He ends up taking her on a little walk. This is where we find out a little bit more about what happened in the past, that his brother Garrett was kidnapped and that... He purposely tries to dream of that day over and over again to try to find uh, more information, blah, blah, blah. She ends up feeling a little bit of sympathy for him and I guess decides not to file the police report because, you know, Mike doesn't get arrested or fired or anything. And he ends up going back to work on the next day. Unfortunately, remember I said that Max was his babysitter and she has now been dispatched. So, on this particular day, Max doesn't show up for work. We all know why as the audience, but Mike doesn't. Uh, and unfortunately, without a babysitter, he's going to have to take his sister to work, which is exactly what he does. We see that in the trailer, too, where he takes his sister to Freddie Fazbear's one night. And this is where the movie takes an odd little turn because uh, basically he tells Abby, okay, you're just going to sleep tonight. Just stay in the office and sleep all night, and then in the morning we'll leave and go home and have breakfast, blah, blah, blah. Of course, Abby's a little kid, and kids don't listen to parents or adults. So once Mike falls asleep, and by the way, Mike isn't just accidentally falling asleep at work. He's actually taking sleeping pills on the job and purposely falling asleep to try to, you know, remember some aspect of the day that Garrett got kidnapped. So he's out cold on sleeping pills. Nothing is waking him up. So, of course, Abby gets up and start, starts looking around. She eventually gets out to the main room where, you know, Freddie and all his friends are up on stage. And we see the stage curtain open and we see all the animatronics turn on and look at Abby. Obviously, we're watching a horror movie, so we feel like, oh, shit, Abby's in danger. At that point, Mike wakes up, realizes that Abby's gone. He runs out into the main room, probably expecting to see the worst. But what does he find? Freddie Fazbear and all the animatronics are tickling Abby. They're literally playing with her. Um, and then suddenly the animatronics, not that the animatronics were ever aggressive towards Mike at this point of the movie, but, you know, Mike is standing there. All the animatronics are moving. They're not trying to hide the fact that they're alive anymore. They're literally just moving, but they're being friendly. They're not 
attacking. They're not being aggressive. Their eyes don't turn red the way that they do right before they do a kill. Um, and this is where we find out that during one of Mike's dreams, he dreamed of these five little kids. Basically, every time that he has a dream, we as the audience see more and more of it. Now, obviously, the five little kids that he sees in his dream weren't actually there that day, but he doesn't understand why he's suddenly dreaming of these five little kids. This is where we basically find out that the five animatronics in the restaurant that are alive are those five little kids that were kidnapped back in the 80s, not including Garrett. Garrett, I, we, we, we never really find out what happened to Garrett, other than, well, I'm not going to say that now. But, yeah, basically, these five little kids are uh, these five dream kids. I think they're called ghost kids in the credits, are in Mike's dream. And that's when, basically, he finally puts two and two together while looking at the animatronics playing nicely with Abby, that's when he realizes, holy shit, these animatronics aren't malicious. They're not malevolent. They're these kids. They're the victims. Somehow their spirits are now inhabiting these animatronics. So we get an entire scene. We actually get a montage of them building a fort in the restaurant, like a blanket fort a blanket and pillow fort that they eventually all go into. They all lay down flat on their back on the floor looking up, and we get that shot with all five characters, plus Officer Vanessa, Mike, and his sister Abby, just kind of all just chilling there, enjoying each other's company. Um, eventually, uh, Mike has another dream where this time one of the kids, one of the ghost kids in his dream finally talks to him. And, he basically, the kid mentions the yellow rabbit. That's all we know is the yellow rabbit. Obviously, gamers are going to know who the yellow rabbit is, but the gamers who are familiar with this game. But, in, you know, as a, as a horror movie audience, you're, you're not really understanding what's going on. Is it a guy in a rabbit suit that kidnapped all these kids, blah, blah, blah? Um, eventually, we do find out that... Basically, the reason why the police were never able to find the bodies of the last five kids is because it's not only their souls or their spirits that are inside of these animatronics. Their fucking bodies are in there. Literally, the bodies of five missing children are inside of these costumes, um, you know, basically grinded up into chunks and, you know, turned into just mounds of shit, probably. We, it's, it's not like we ever get to see a kid come out of the costume. It's just, you know, we find out that eventually, we, we eventually find out that the killer uh, of these kids actually put their bodies in the animatronics, and it, the killer was the owner of this restaurant, the, the William guy that, we, that I mentioned earlier. Um, but of course, since they never found any bodies, they can't pin any charges on them. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's up, Mike? I was going to say, do you, one thing I was wondering about this movie, and I, like I said, I haven't played or seen enough of the games to know if this is true, but I kind of had a little bit of an issue with the fact that it looked like from everything we saw in the last half or third of the movie that uh, these possessed animatronics and ghost kids or whatever, they can kind of freely move around wherever the hell they want to go. 
And I know I know every movie and every story is going to have its own lore, but I I think the fact that they were like you know all brought there and turned into the things I, I think it it would be better or like it would be an easier thing to do to just say well they're tied to the place where this all happened because if they can just kind of yeah. go wherever they want then it's like then why do they even stay there in the first place unless <laughs> and like I, I, and maybe I missed it but um we know we know who like the head person is doing all this but did we really get an explanation as to why not at all no because to me if you're going to give that twist I mean, because that's something that, like, that type of exposition, I think, is what you don't want to wait for in a sequel. Because once we figure out, once it's revealed who, and I know I'm a little bit ahead of where you are in the walkthrough, but once it's revealed who's doing it, it's like, okay, are you going to give us a why? Because, like, what what's the, I mean, I guess, like, other than he's a sadistic individual, but, like, I, I would have thought there would be, like, some purpose, like, oh, maybe he lost young kids or something he's trying to recreate like i don't know and when i was driving home i was like man maybe i I missed a piece of dialogue or something that explains why after that reveal happened but i guess not no not really i am i think it's just you know basic psychosis because it seemed like he didn't even really like his own child very much i mean they show uh, at one point, eventually, so actually we're at the scene, so let's just go ahead uh, to it. Uh, eventually, Mike has a dream, uh, yet another dream, where once again one of the, the kids is talking to him and mentions the yellow rabbit. And then eventually Mike is at the restaurant one day, and he actually sees a picture with the five kids, a drawn picture, not a photograph, like a crayon you know, picture, uh, a colored picture of the five kids with this yellow bunny. But it looks like they're having fun, they're hand-in-hand, everything, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, But eventually, Mike, uh, on one of his dreams, uh, Mike ends up getting a proposition from the five kids. He sees the five kids again, and this is, you know, he has the dream, he sees the five kids. This is after that night where they had fun together, so he's aware that these five kids are in the costumes and in his dream for some reason. Uh, the leader of the Ghost Kids, which is the one that played um, Hook, I believe, Foxy uh, for gamers, uh, basically makes him the offer of we'll let you dream of your family every night. Because don't forget, Mike only has Abby left. Um, his mother's dead, his father took off, and Garrett was kidnapped. So basically the Ghost Kid makes him the offer I can make it so that you have this dream every night and you can be happy with your family. And the guy is like, well, what do I need to do? And the ghost kid says, we want Abby. And for half a second, the guy almost seems like he's contemplating it. Like, hmm, you know, I give up Abby. Somebody who I haven't really talked much about Abby and Mike's relationship throughout the movie. They definitely have a strained relationship Abby's not really happy with the the way Mike is parenting her. Kind of obviously, you know, the problem that all kids have with their parental figures, you know, just being restricted from doing stuff and being yelled at for doing stuff that isn't normal, blah, 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 talking to imaginary characters, imaginary friends and blah, blah, blah. And basically, you know, eventually they have the scene where she screams, I hate you, which is pretty much in every movie that has these types of characters in it. Um 
But yeah, um, Mike contemplates the offer for half a second, and it almost looks like he says yes, like like he nods his head. But then he goes and he walks up to his family and he walks up to Garrett specifically and he looks the little kid in the eyes and he almost has like a realization moment. He snaps out of it and he's like, no, no, I don't accept this. Garrett's gone. My mother's gone. My father's gone. The only thing I have left is Abby and I'm not going to give her up to you guys. So basically he 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 says no to the offer, which, of course, infuriates the ghost kid in the dream and suddenly the kids attack them in the dream. They all, like, take turns, like, slicing them, um, you know, like, running by them and slicing them in the ankle with a knife or slicing them in the elbow with a knife, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, he's got, like, you know, little cuts all over him, and he ends up waking up at uh, Freddy Fazbear's, which is where he fell asleep, honestly. He, he ended up going there during the day so that he could have some privacy and have one of his extended dreams, again, to try to you know, be able to get some more information. When he wakes up from this dream, unfortunately, he's strapped to the same chair that the security guard was strapped in earlier in the film. Eventually, he is able to get out of the chair by using the loosened bolt that the security guard in the cold open loosened for him. He's able to get out. He slips out of the chair, and then Vanessa shows up, and Mike just goes crazy. He's like, what the fuck are you not telling me? For God's sakes, you, you seem to know everything about this place, and you seem to always be here uh, at, at opportune times. So what is going on? And this is where we finally find out that the owner of Freddy Fassbear's, uh Pizzeria and the murderer of these kids is actually Officer Vanessa's father. And she shows us a picture of her with her father, but her father is in uh, one of the costumes. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was Springtrap or if it, well, if it was Springtrap Bonnie. I think it was Springtrap Bonnie uh, for the gamers. You guys know what I'm talking about. Everybody else, I, I'm, I'm speaking gibberish, but... Um, I think it was Springtrap Bonnie that he was dressed up as um, early on in this picture. And, of course, Mike gets pissed off. He's like, are you kidding me? I brought my sister here. You, you know, you're not giving me all the information. It's almost like you're setting me up for something. And then finally, um, the uh, basically, we see Freddie go to Mike's house. But like I said, Mike is at Freddy's asleep at this moment. While Mike is asleep at Freddy's dreaming about the proposition, um, Freddy Fazbear himself is at Mike's house where Aunt June, uh, yeah, Aunt Jane, excuse me, where Aunt Jane is watching Abby currently. Uh, um, we never actually, again, we never really get to see what happens to Aunt Jane. All we see is her, her legs on the floor as Abby is walking out of the house with Freddie. And then this is where we get the first of the cab driver scenes that Mike wasn't a fan of, and neither am I for that matter. Uh, basically, Abby gets into a taxi cab, and the driver says, where are we going? Abby doesn't say anything right away. And, and the camera is fixed on the driver on a side shot, so we don't actually see what's going on in the back seat. Suddenly, we hear the door open, and the car shakes violently as something very heavy gets into the car. He looks back and is freaked out because there's Freddy, the animatronic Freddy Fazbear, sitting in his back seat with Abby, basically saying, you know, oh, we're going to Freddy's, blah, blah, blah. And... 
he doesn't even question it, the cab driver. He, I mean, this little eight-year-old girl with a full-size animatronic in the middle of the night want to go to Freddy Fazbear's, and he doesn't question it. All he says is, I always get the weirdos, and then he takes off. So that's our comic relief for the movie. Um, I forgot to mention that at one point, Mike does open one of the lockers in the um, guard's office, and there is a balloon boy statue in there that actually scares them a little bit because it's right at face level when he opens the the locker. He ends up turning the little toy around, but then like a couple of days later, he opens the locker again, and the statue is turned back facing him again, which kind of freaks him out, blah, blah, blah. I only say this because it sets up the... um, it sets up the cold open for later, so we'll move on from that. So basically, we're back at Freddy Fazbear's. Mike has gotten out of the restraints, out of the chair, like I said, and then he realizes that Abby is there. He hears Abby's voice, but at this point, he knows that the animatronics are now against him. They're not going to be as friendly as they were the other night because, you know, he said no to their proposition. So uh, basically, Mike, um, a couple of the... A couple of the animatronics walk uh, Abby off stage to go to a back room where we see the chair once again that Mike and the earlier security guard were strapped to. And we see, I think it's Chica, we see Chica take Bonnie backstage, put her in the chair, strap her in. And then we see that familiar Freddy Fazbear costume coming down with all the circular blades and everything spinning inside, coming closer and closer to her. While all this is happening, Mike is out in the main room while <laughs> while Freddy and Foxy are still playing uh, the song. What is the song that plays eight times in this movie? Uh, I know the secrets uh... that you keep while you're... Yeah, lying in your sleep. talking in your I, sleep or whatever. Talking in your sleep, yeah, that one. Yeah, everyone that knows plays. it if they've heard it. It's one of those songs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we all know um, blah, 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 uh, the song. It, it was a big hit, one-hit wonder in the 80s, but, uh, yeah, I can't think of the title offhand. Anyway, Freddie and Foxy are on stage performing to no one. Obviously, there's no one in the restaurant. They're just kind of performing, going through the motions. Mike ends up sneaking up on stage, pouring a bucket of water onto the stage, and then using a taser that Vanessa gave him to tase um, Freddie and Foxy on stage. Um, And Vanessa earlier in the movie does tell him, you know, I gave you a taser and a cattle prod. They're not going to kill the animatronics, but it should fuck up the machinery enough that it'll give you some time. You know, it'll knock them out for a little while, basically. So he knocks out Freddy and Foxy on stage. He ends up running into the back room where Abby is being strapped into the chair. He ends up reloading the um, the taser and using it on Chica, which ends up knocking her out. So at this point, you know, the main animatronics have all been knocked out, you know, with either electrocution on stage or with the cattle prod. Oh, he ends up taking out Cupcake with the cattle prod. Cupcake tries to attack him. He ends up jamming the cattle prod right down Cupcake's throat <laughs> and knocking her out, basically. So Cupcake's out. So basically all the animatronics. I was a fan of Cupcake. I love Cupcake. cupcake I love Cupcake in the game and in the movie. I thought this was a pretty decent use of that character. <laughs> Um, so yeah, after he takes, uh, you know, after he knocks out Cupcake, all the animatronics are knocked out. 
So he's, you know, collecting up Abby to get the hell out of there. And then suddenly Springtrap Bonnie shows up. And for gamers, again, are going to know the Springtrap characters as boss characters in the Five Nights at Freddy's games. And basically, whereas Bonnie is like a blue bunny, Springtrap Bonnie is like a yellow bunny, but with scars and damage, like battle damage all over her with a much angrier look on her face, blah, blah, blah. So, but then suddenly Springtrap Bonnie starts talking and it's the fucking killer. The killer of these five kids is still fucking alive. Basically, the owner of Freddy Fazbear's is still alive, still wearing the costume. And basically, he comes out and he starts talking about how pissed off he is at him. And, you know, you should have just left well enough alone. You know, blah, blah, blah. You didn't have to. We didn't have to go down this route and everything else. And then finally, he takes his mask off. He takes the Springtrap Bonnie mask off. And it's fucking Matthew Lillard. And literally, my heart sank when this happened. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? How lazy can you possibly be? That, you know, one of the only other named characters in the movie is the goddamn killer. It's like, come on. And then I'm just thinking to myself, man, it's been, what, 20 or no. Yeah, like uh, 18, 20, what, 28 years, 27 years since Scream. And here's Matthew Lillard basically um, redoing the character. You know, once again, a guy who seemed normal, and but now he is the mass killer. And yes, he is Officer Vanessa's father, who is also, you know, the the killer from, you know, years ago, from the 80s of all these kids. But he is still alive. He's not actually in an animatronic suit. He's in a regular costume that does have some mechanical parts in it, as we'll see later on. But, you know, it's basically just him in a costume. He tries to basically get the kids, the, the five robots, of the animatronics, to then attack Mike and Abby. Um, and the reason that they do this is because their memories have been affected. Basically, um, there's a bunch of color, like, again, Crayola colored pictures on the wall, and all the, all the pictures are basically a lie. They're all showing the yellow bunny having a good time with the kids. So basically, it's almost like the ghost kids in their ghost form think that Springtrap Bonnie is their friend and, you know, and basically take, they take orders from him and, you know, do his bidding, blah, blah, blah. Eventually Mike figures that out, that all the pictures on that board, on the drawing board are all faked. Um, and he basically tells his little sister, Abby, draw the truth, draw me a picture of the truth. And we should get the animatronics to kind of turn on spring, on Springtrap. So that's what she does. She ends up drawing a picture that shows the yellow bunny with a bloody knife in its hand actually killing the other five kids. And then she pins it up on the board, on the bulletin board. And literally the instant that she pins it up on the bulletin board, the lights go out and we suddenly see all five of the animatronics kind of stop moving forward. And they all kind of turn their attention to Matthew Lillard. And he starts getting pissed off. He's like, what's wrong with you guys? Do, do what I say. Don't you understand? You know, they're here to destroy you or blah, 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 whatever the hell it is he says. But, of course, at this point, they've kind of smartened up. And you think that you're going to get the guilty pleasure kill of getting to watch the villain die. But, nope. What we get is some of the animatronics 
that are in some of the machine parts that are in the costume that Matthew Lillard is wearing, they actually come to life and they start like stabbing him in the midsection. Um, very similar to the costume that they showed us, um, you know, with the security guard and everything else earlier in the film. And like I said, these things start kind of stabbing one by one. They start stabbing into Matthew Lillard's midsection. And then we see all five of the animatronics turn their gaze towards him and they start walking towards him. And, you know, obviously I'm getting excited because I'm thinking, here we go. Finally, our guilty pleasure kill. Nope. They basically just drag them off into that back room where, you know, all the bodies were and just that's uh, it's not the last we see of them. But basically, for now, it's the last we see of them. We eventually do see Mike and Abby back at home. They now have a renewed relationship where Abby, um, you know, is smiling and actually talking to him. They're 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 being jovial. They're having a good time. And then we get one final scene where we go back to Freddie Fazbear's, and what we see is uh, Steve Raglan, Matthew Lillard's character, still in the Bonnie costume, but he's now tied up in the back room of the of the um, restaurant. But he's just there, like the, the other animatronics aren't there with him. He's just kind of tied up there, and it almost looks like you know he's basically still alive. He's still moving. He's still talking. Uh, we don't even get that guilty pleasure kill. We don't get, like, an arrest. It's not like the police show up and arrest them, blah, blah, blah. I forgot to mention that in the final – during the final scrum, um, he ends up stabbing his daughter with a butcher knife in the midsection. She goes down. It seems like she is gone, you know, because her eyes are closed and it doesn't seem like she's breathing. She does eventually survive her wounds, but we see that she's in the hospital in a coma. She's um, basically just out. We see Mike there basically telling her, you know, if it weren't for you, you know, my my sister and I would not be alive. We owe you our lives. And when and even though you're alone now, because all she had was her father, who, you know, Mike thinks is dead anyway. He basically says, when you wake up, we'll be here for you. You know, we'll be your family, something along those lines, blah, blah, blah. And then that's the end of our movie. We get a few credits. Uh, we get a quick credit sequence. And then we get a mid-credit scene where um, it, it's, it's our cab driver again from our earlier attempt at comic relief. He's basically um, sleeping in his front seat. He hears somebody Again, the camera's in the front seat so that it can't see who's in the back. But we hear somebody knock at his window glass, and he tells them, fuck off, I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on break. Excuse me, I got the hiccups, folks. He tells, you know, he basically yells at the person, I'm on break, get out of here. He has a hat over his face, so he doesn't actually see who's knocking at his door. Eventually, we hear the door open. We hear somebody get into the car, and then we hear the door close. He takes his hat off his face and says, did you not fucking hear me? But then when he looks, it's the Balloon Boy statue, which is only about maybe six to eight inches tall. It's just like a little toy. But it's sitting there right in the front seat facing him smiling, um, which I guess is kind of a tease. Because Balloon Boy, like I, like I mentioned earlier, Balloon Boy makes his debut in the game series in either the second or the third game and he does eventually become more of a main character in some of the later games um i think the third one is the first one where he actually becomes like a big part of it um so i guess that's them setting up the sequel we're going to get more balloon we're going to get balloon boy um 
we do see one animatronic in the back of a girl character, and I just can't remember her name for the life of me. Maybe she's from a later game that I never played. Like I said, I only played the first three of 11 Five Nights at Freddy's games. Um, but we do see one animatronic that never moves um, that's still empty, basically doesn't have a, a torso inside to kind of activate it. So um, so maybe yeah. that's a setup for, you know, the next movie as well. And mm-hmm. looking at the box office for this, we're looking at $130 million worldwide for this movie. Um, that's pretty impressive for... Uh, and not the most established director, like uh, this director, uh, what's her name? Emma Tammy. She did direct mm-hmm. The Wind from 2018. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that movie. A, a pretty good kind of uh, supernatural movie. Uh, was that the one set in the Old West? I was going to ask. So that was the Western set one, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah I've only seen it the one time. Yeah, so did he, yeah, so did I, but I was going to say, if that's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, it wasn't bad. I liked it. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. I do remember that. I mean, I didn't know that's who this director was going into it. Gladly, actually, because I might have expected a little bit more. Um, ultimately, like I said, I, I'm not going to blame the director for this movie. I'll definitely blame the writers more for this one. Um, just not a very compelling story. Everything that they added to the movie that wasn't in the game just felt like filler, just kind of unnecessary. You could have given us 10 minutes of character a backstory, and it would have been more than enough for this movie. But instead, we get a half hour of an hour and 50 minute long movie. So it's definitely a little bit excessive. Hopefully, if they do a sequel, we won't have to do as much setup because we're all now familiar with Freddy Fazbear's. We know what's going on there. So if they do a sequel, maybe we'll be able to get into the action a little bit quicker without having to worry about character development. I mean, obviously, I can't imagine Mike will be back, so I I would imagine if they do a sequel, it'll be a new security guard, but we'll see. So that's it, folks. That's Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, it it almost like the way they were setting it up, assuming a sequel, like, picked up immediately after um, with, like, the animatronics in the same situation, it, it almost seemed like they made a point not to kill off Matthew Lillard or the Yellow Bunny. What, what yeah. What's the name of that animatronic? Springtrap Bonnie. Have a name? Yeah, Springtrap Spring Bonnie. Springtrap Bonnie, yeah. <laughs> um, they, they made a point to show us that Springtrap Bonnie is not dead, and they almost made it seem like the the blonde kid ghost could take over as kind of like the maestro of the group because it showed him very quickly yeah. like closing the door on him, like almost like he's – gonna keep him alive for whatever purpose and maybe he'll take over as like the de facto leader or something so yeah maybe they'll play around with the story further like in, i mean it's possible they don't even know what they would plan to do yet but now with this opening season i can imagine them being on a conference call like tonight like okay <laughs> we need uh you to start writing something <laughs> <laughs> yep and look i mean $130 million opening weekend, that's kind of unheard of for a new IP. It, I mean, it's not truly a new IP because it's an established IP through the video game and the comic books and everything else. By the way, if I, I would recommend the comic books. I actually enjoy the Five Nights at Freddy's graphic novels more than any of the games I ever played. That Whoever wrote those novels should have wrote the movie because it's definitely some of the best 
Freddy's fiction that I've seen out there. So I would recommend yeah, it'll, that. It'll, it'll be worth keeping an eye on, like, what happens with the FNAF, like, merch and video game sales post-movie. Because I think the – based on this box office, I think it shows that the, the property itself had much more uh, reach and interest than – anyone was expecting because yeah this isn't just like a good opening this is like a ridiculously monster monstrous opening i knew the i i mean i knew there was like an audience but i i didn't know it would translate as much as it did where i think people just straight up went to it because it's like oh five nights at freddy's is making is gonna have a movie and, yeah. and nothing else really mattered so i'm interested to see what happens with the merch as far as like you say you know graphic novels yeah. books the games are still very easily available on systems so like they're gonna have a gold mine for at least a little while yeah yeah absolutely this is uh <laughs> Sadly, this is probably this franchise is probably. I mean, I, I would imagine we're going to get at least a trilogy out of this uh, film franchise. I mean, you don't do 130 million dollars on opening weekend for a, a new cinematic IP and not get a sequel. That's it's an impossibility. Hey, as a <laughs> as a me, as a medium, I'll say we as we were on it. I'd rather see a second one of these than Exorcist Believer Two. Oh God, <laughs> yes, please, for God's sake! I don't, I don't care how much Blumhouse paid for that license. Just let it die, for God's sake! But yeah, um, I also think, along with everything that Mike said, I also think the fact that it opened on the weekend before Halloween is going to be a major impact. I mean. You know, for a lot of younger audiences, this is their Halloween. You know, Tuesday night is maybe maybe not the best night for trick-or-treating and going out. So this weekend was probably their chance to go out, see a horror movie, you know, go to a party, blah, blah, blah. So um, they, they did the right thing opening the weekend before Halloween. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I would I would and dare say about half this money is just people who wanted to see a scary movie on Halloween weekend. Yeah, and it, yeah. it helps that this one was going to tend to be entire families going because that's what I saw in the theater. It, 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 me, yeah. it wasn't it any, anyone that was like, um, or excuse me, you didn't see a lot of people like in my peer group by themselves. It was usually like anyone that's my age as a that that has kids. Like we uh, we took our two kids, but they we actually uh, took one of their friends from school with us. So like that was like more money than even we would usually spend. So uh, I think that's kind of like what went on and what helped this box office too. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw, like I said, I saw it today. I saw a lot of families there, a lot of large groups of kids, um, which ultimately I don't mind kids. Sometimes it, it almost adds to the experience to have kids like laughing or gasping at something scary. It's just like I said, when the parents are just as disrespectful, that's where I get kind of crazy. So I, I might have said a yeah, thing or two that I, I regret yeah. today at the theater, but uh, at least they shut up. <laughs> I, I definitely was a little nervous because there was like a lot of families with young kids, like uh, especially in my kids' age, age range. But luckily, I mean, they must have all just been super into just Five Nights at Freddy stuff because it was pretty – Everyone was well behaved, so I was I was surprised, well, but I'm the just... good kind of surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the norm. I can I no, can't tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion on Five Nights at Freddy's of the movie. Um, with that said, we'll we'll go around and see what else we have, if anything, to promote. So, Venom. Uh, I know. I mean, we can. We also have the episode on Dark Harvest, so there's that. But uh, what else we got? Pretty much the same thing. I'm just going to be repeating myself from what you heard at the end of Dark Harvest. Um, uh, episode 17 of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. It's still the latest episode where we look at that. Uh, the Ray Harryhausen classic, 20 Million Miles to Earth. Um, our, all of our appearances on Cut to the Chase, Thrills and Chills have been postponed due to a tragedy in the Cut to the Chase family. Um, our hearts go out to them, of course, if any of them are listening. And, you know, we're looking forward to our appearances in the month of November. Um, let's see, my guest spots on Cinema Beef with Gary Hill, where we looked at a couple of surf movies. Gary actually reviews about 10 movies on this episode, but I joined him for two of those reviews. And the two that I joined him for were for Surf 2, The End of the Trilogy, and Surf Nazis Must Die. Um, we do have a new episode of Creature Comforts recording this coming weekend, episode 18, and hopefully that'll be out sometime around the second week of November. Um, let's see, and that's pretty much all the plans I have right now. Now that Halloween is kind of past us, as we record this, it's still October 29th, obviously, but I'm working tomorrow, and then Tuesday I'm going to Disneyland all day, so... Uh, my October is pretty much done as of tonight. I'll obviously still watch a couple more movies, but otherwise my October festivities are done until Disneyland on Tuesday. So um, hopefully in November we'll get our you know release cadence up and get more episodes out of all the shows, including Crystal Lake Gift Shop. And uh, maybe even watch this movie, Mike, because I actually have an idea for an episode that I'm going to talk to Mike about off air so yeah look look for us to be busier in november than we were in october <laughs> yeah i'm definitely ready to do more episodes of that it's just been busy and that's kind of like uh it's kind of like a just for fun like when i have time to do it but i know a couple people have actually asked me about you know doing episodes for that so we i'll make i'll make time because anytime someone comes to me about wanting to do like one of my shows, I, I almost feel like, well, I have to do it now, as opposed to like when they're <laughs> reaching out, you know. So, uh, cool. But uh, how about you, Don? Uh, not much new. Um, like you said, uh, cut to the chase has been postponed. Um, I do have uh, the. Uh, Recorded, but uh, as of yet unreleased uh, appearance on uh, Scara Silly, which is a um, upcoming show from uh, my old friends Bill and Tanya from uh, the Horror Mafia days. They're going to be looking at uh, under the radar and uh, under discussed horror comedies, not you know the the usual suspects. So uh, the first show is going to be me looking at. Um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, it's going to be me and uh, them looking at the 2015 uh, film Gravy. So uh, that one should be out probably pretty soon uh, as you hear this because of the uh, turnaround between this and the the last show where I went into detail about that. But, uh, yeah, beyond that, uh, the only other thing is, uh, you know, season two of Horror Countdown. So just uh, 
ticking away, waiting for uh, season three to start uh, pretty soon in the new year. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, pretty much it on my ends. All right. Uh, as far as I go, everything I got is or has already been mentioned by Venom. Uh, I also want to extend, you know, the condolences to the Cut to the Chase family. I also have an episode that'll be pushed back. Uh, we'll get to that whenever the getting's good. And that's pretty much it. Uh, isn't there a release the first week? I, the first week. This is the first week of November, technically, by the end of the week. Right. Um, um, but I don't, I don't know if anything's coming out this week. Uh, I don't Hell's think LLC Origins. That one's dropping tomorrow. Oh, that's this week? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was going to say... Honestly, though, I don't want to skip Sister Death. I, I, I rewatched Veronica last night, and I forgot how absolutely spectacular Veronica is. So I, I, I would definitely uh, campaign for Sister Death for the next episode. Okay. Spanish okay, and yeah. the prequel to a film I loved. I'm down. I mean, you don't have to convince yeah. me hardly. I mean, yeah, Paco Plaza, director of Wreck. Come on. Well, I was going to say. Uh, yeah. I was going to say. Um, I mean, I was going to say Spanish horror and a prequel to a film I absolutely loved as well. I mean, you don't have to twist my arm for that. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's three. I'm, I'm completely good with Sister Death because. Um, one, I didn't even know that was even happening, and I was, like, scrolling Netflix the other night. I was like, what is this? And I looked at the director, and then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, so there's that. Obviously, Dawn mentioned Hell House. Uh, I think that was a prequel, right? Like, how everything kind of so, started, yeah. I think. And then there's even a third one that I've kind of had my eye on that's now on VOD, uh, Suitable Flesh, the new Heather Graham one, right. which looks like it could be some, like, nasty body horror, potentially. Yeah, no, it's um, not. <laughs> oh, it's not that kind of movie? Okay. Then no, um, it, it's not what you're thinking of. It, it's a more of a uh, body-hopping possession movie. Ah, okay. Mm. All right. I mean, well, it's got Heather Graham acting horny, so if you want to watch it for that. Hey, well, I'll take that. I'll, pro I'll probably definitely be watching it now, whether we cover it on Fresh Cuts. That's a different story. But, <laughs> but uh, bring anyway, it sounds like Sister Death is going to be the movie, yeah. which if you, I'm If you're going to do that, with. I'll say this. Bring tissues. <laughs> I love so, it. All right. <laughs> Get your motion uh, ready. Yeah. Yeah, she's since really Roller Girl. <laughs> How uh, since Roller Girl has she been like this on screen? Oh, uh, Roller Girl. Yeah. I think it tops it. Wow. Well, she actually was in that one movie with uh uh what's his name? Fines. Ray Fines? Ray Fines. Ray Fines. Is it? Yep. Where mm -hmm. she it was like a thriller, like a almost like a erotic thriller, kind of, I guess. Anyways, yeah. So <laughs> uh, more than likely it's going to be Sister Death, unless for some reason something prevents it, but I don't see why. So expect that. But uh, with that said, you should all watch Veronica first if you haven't seen it because Veronica is excellent. So, yes. yeah. So oh. maybe – oh, go ahead. Uh, there was one more thing I forgot to mention, not really horror related, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm such a fan. If you were able to listen to this episode before November 1st, there is a one night screening of Godzilla 2000 in theaters nationwide on November 1st for Godzilla Day. So just throwing it out there. The third. Right, right. It's for Godzilla Day. I don't, I don't know that it's on oh, Godzilla okay. Day. 
Because I know on Godzilla Day, they're releasing a slew of new toys that I'm actually going to be looking at. I've already got a bookmark on the Godzilla store for November 3rd. So, yeah, I'll be spending some money that day. But, yeah, November 1st, one night showing of Godzilla 2000, which is, in my opinion, one of the better Godzilla films. So go ahead and check that out if you're interested. I will definitely be there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. We'll be back in about a week with a new episode of Fresh Cuts. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Happy Halloween. Have fun trick-or-treating and don't piss off animatronics. Yeah, you can find some crazy things on overnight security jobs. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) peace.